0: Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch.
1: Welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan, I'm pastor here, if you don't know who I am. uh, And it's still true if you do know who I am. Um, just before we go any further, this is Peru's national jersey. It is one of the most iconic jerseys in all of soccerdom. Uh, so we decided to wear it today uh, to kind of stay on, uh, on target with what we're talking about. How about uh, Jennifer's kind of summary of the trip, right? I mean, oh my goodness. Um, you know, it's so sweet. Even. You know, when uh, Daniel picked us up from the airport uh, when we got back, and, and Daniel hasn't been yet, so next, next time we're going to send Daniel, and Kaylee's going to go too, uh, to, to be blessed and to be a blessing. Um, he was saying, you know, it really does feel like we've kind of moved even beyond like partnership. We're in another realm of relationship. You know, this is we're like family. They're an extension of who we are and we're an extension of who, who they are. And so just continue to pray uh, for that uh, relationship that we have with that community. And uh, we want to do better also of, of giving updates periodically of, of what they're up to and being able to share with them what we're doing. Um, so just uh, be on the lookout for that. So um, let's pray, and we're going to get right into today, because I'm really excited for what the Lord has for us. Uh, so Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sweet presence in this place today, Lord. We thank you that um, you have drawn each one of us in here. Maybe we're, it's right on the forefront of our minds why we're here, uh, because we have this expectation uh, to worship You, to meet You, um, to encounter Your presence in Your Holy Spirit, and to be transformed by that. But maybe we don't know why we're here, Lord. Um, but Father, I believe that You've drawn each one of us here uh, because there's something very specific that You want us to know about You and to learn about You. Um, and so, Lord, would You put that Um, high expectation in each one of our hearts Um, that we don't have to follow a God where we're just existing on rumors of something you said a long time ago or what you were once like but we actually get to experience that today, that we can hear your voice today, that we can witness to your presence to us today and that's the thing that sustains us in our Christian journey Um, that we want experience or nothing at all that's why we're here Uh, May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So today we're kind of uh, wrapping up a couple Sundays where we've specifically been looking at this idea of serving. In the very beginning, on Praxis Sunday, we talked about how serving is an act of worship. When we elevate it, what we understand as worship from just music, and we really see that it's wherever we devote our time and our energy and our gifts and our resources, those all of those things become worship because they're leading us into deeper appreciation of who God is. And then last week, Cole was talking up to us about you know, the reality of what it costs us to serve. That it's inconvenient, that it, that it costs us our emotions and our boundaries and all of these things, but there's this infinite reward on the other side of those sacrifices of worship that lead us into a deeper appreciation of who God is and who we've been called to be. And so today, I really want to kind of take that to the next place about talking um, through what serving does specifically beyond the walls of the church. We've talked about it a lot you know within our community what it looks like for us to serve one another and and I'm, I'm so proud that in our church you know we we have 140 people signed up serving somewhere in our community that's unprecedented that's amazing it means within the fabric of our community we understand this that our role is not just to come here and to observe a thing happening on a stage Uh, but rather that we're called to be active participants in that. Um, But I want to talk today more specifically about serving beyond the walls of the church. Um, So my my text for this morning is going to be Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You can turn there in your Bibles. You can read it on on the screens. And I love this little passage because for Paul, it's, it's a good, very condensed version of the whole message, the whole gospel, the good news message that he preaches. It's got all the really good bits in there, and we could spend weeks just dissecting these 10 verses, but specifically what I want you to be listening for, because this is kind of where my message is going to be hinging on, um, are those three essential values that we have as a community. When you came in, maybe you've seen those icons on the wall. It's the top three theological values, intimacy identity and purpose. I want you to be listening for those as we read uh, the words of Paul. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath, and I've spoken about this many times before, that kind of unholy trinity of the flesh, the enemy, and the world, all kind of coalescing here in the beginning of Paul's discussion. That. We followed the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's fancy language for the Satan, the accuser, the enemy, and then talking about gratifying the cravings of our flesh. So they're all kind of there, and they all work in concert against the ways of God that we see in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so he continues on. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace And I think this is the the line I really want you to hold on to. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's amazing that whenever Paul talks about your salvation, it is almost completely attached to what you're called to do with your life. And if we understand the gospel as something that we have only received, and it's kind of given us, Uh, you know, this season passed to heaven and that's like the whole thing. It's just about what you get out of it. You're only living a half gospel, according to Paul. Because what Paul tells us time and again is yes, you have been saved. You've been saved from something, but you've also been saved to something. There is something that God wants to do with you. There is something that God wants to do through you, not as a way for you to earn your way into his good graces, not as a way for you to earn heaven, but as the outflow of what you have freely received from him, and that God is doing something within each one of us as he's sanctifying us, which means he's setting us aside, he's equipping us. So that we can go back out into the world and do the thing that he's uniquely crafted each one of you to do and so if you remember when we went through our values at the very beginning of the year we kind of framed those three main theological values we have like this by cultivating intimacy with father god we learn to inhabit our identity in christ and discover our purpose as the spirit-led church so there's that good trinitarian theology that we're working into our community that we begin in the place of intimacy it's about relationship it's about connection with god and in that connection not only do we recognize what our identities are in christ but we learn how to inhabit those realities what does that look like from day to day and as we come to understand our our unshakable unmovable identities in christ Our purpose is something it's almost like a byproduct our purpose naturally arises out of this intimacy that we have with God and we discover who we are and specifically as you as an individual you discover who you are in the context of what God has created the church for that we have this purpose that we are to be led by the Spirit out into the world that we might be part of the work that God does and unfortunately as human beings we tend to flip this process upside down and it and and sometimes Christianity reads more like this when we behave appropriately we can earn our right to enter the household and eventually we will approach God when you learn all the rules and the regulations when you do it right when you behave yourself then maybe you can enter into the household You get to cross over the threshold, and you get to be part of the Christian community. And if you're a really good boy, if you're a really good girl long enough, maybe eventually you'll get to go and see Father God, right? And a lot of times that's what we think. And so when we think about our sin or our fallenness, it's like, oh my goodness, I can't possibly approach God. He's so mad at me. He's so angry with me. He can't stand me. I've got to do, I've got to fix myself up. I've got to clean myself up so I can make myself presentable to him. And it's unfortunate when we enter into that, because that's kind of what we call legalism. And as I've said many times before, if fundamentalism didn't exist, I think we would just continually invent it. Because this is just by default, as human beings, this is what we assume. In order to get people to love us, in order to get God to love us, we need to learn all the rules, and we need to behave appropriately, and then we'll be presentable, then we'll be allowed into the presence of our beloved. And what I want to do today specifically is take this idea of serving the world, serving beyond the walls of the church and seeing how us stepping out in faith to serve in some really unique positions actually helps us to sort that out in our lives. Maybe to shed some of the legalistic or the fundamentalist tendencies that each of us have and to step into the process to which the Father has actually called us of intimacy, identity and purpose. And I'm really excited because today, especially, because we have three testimonies of people in our community who are actually living this out in real time. That again, it's not just nice theory, it's not just theology, but it's something that within our community, we're working out in real time. And so I'm going to talk about each one of those three things, and there's going to be a very beautiful, beautiful uh, video testimony uh, that kind of accompanies it. So we're going to start uh, with Intimacy. Serving the world helps us to cultivate our intimacy with Father God. Uh, The Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards, right? So your life, it can only go in one direction. But a lot of times what happens is we're kind of working through life, and it's not until we turn around and look back where we're actually able to see the material reality of our lives, how we've been behaving, what our actions, what our words say about ourselves. And so I think this is very true when it comes to intimacy with God. That should always be our direction. That's the thing that we're working towards. But a lot of times it's when we look back after stepping out into faith, stepping out into things that maybe we don't really understand, that we're able to look back and go, oh yes, those were the times that actually drew me deeper into the presence of God, that gave me a deeper understanding of His heart. And I think like any relationship in our lives, our connection to the living God is something that we invest in in all sorts of ways. You know, your intimacy with God is not this one and done thing that you just said a prayer at some point in your life and you're good. You know, unfortunately, I've heard that story several times where someone has said to God something along the lines of, God, if you do this thing for me, I'll never ever bother you again. Now, all you married folks, if you went to your spouse and you told them that, How long do you think your marriage would last? Even your friends—if you went to your friend and said, "If you just hang out with me Friday night, I will never bother you ever again. I'll never like—that's insane." But a lot of times, that's our attitude when it comes to God, because we presuppose that God is distant and disinterested. And so, when we talk about intimacy, it's—it's just this one singular moment of, "God, I need you, I desire you, and if you would just show up for me right now in this moment." I, I promise you, I won't bother you ever again. See, again, it kind of betrays this idea that we think that we're an inconvenience to God, that we're, he, we bother Him, that he, He's not particularly interested or perhaps He doesn't even really like us. But when we think about the relationships in our lives that maybe have a certain title, mother, father husband, wife, friend, brother, sister, those titles are only the starting point for a journey of discovery of what that relationship really is. And it's when we're cultivating that intimate relationship over time that we really begin to discover what those words actually mean. And I think that's very true with God being our God. And so it's through consistent choosing into relationship with Him that we invest in our relationship with him, that we come to understand what intimacy looks like. And for us, we do that through the language of prayer. We do it through worship, and we do it, of course, through service. And we even saw this time and again in the parable series where Jesus is binding together this idea of being part of the kingdom and doing the work of the kingdom, that it's through doing the work that we're really coming to see the kingdom and understand its reality, I think this is what's so powerful about service when it comes to our intimacy with God. By loving who God loves with our stories and our gifts, we come to understand his heart for all of us. When we know on some level, maybe it's just we've read it in the Bible, the people that God loves, and we step out in faith to begin to love those people, maybe not even because we love them, let's be honest. Maybe we don't love people because we love them, we love them because we know that God has a heart for them, and we begin to love those people out of our stories and our gifts and our time and our resources. It's on the other side of that that we come to understand God's heart for humanity. I've said this many times before. I think nine times out of ten, it's our obedience to love who God has called us to love that leads to revelation of his heart and not the other way around. We say, God, just give me, give me the revelation. the clouds. Part the clouds. Do something in me so then i can go out i think that does happen but i think a lot of times it's going god i don't feel it i don't like that person they're they're my samaria you know that's the, the them whoever them is that tribe that crowd i'm not feeling it but i'm going to step out in faith to love you and as we do that god begins to soften our heart we come to this revelation of oh my goodness this is how this person sees them and i think what happens when we begin to serve through the eye of intimacy as we begin to love people that maybe we wouldn't normally love it begins to reinforce in us how specifically he has saved each one of us and we see this in that language of Ephesians 2 that we've been saved from that unholy trinity of the flesh and the enemy and the world but we've also been saved to something and what Paul's doing is inviting you to remember remember you used to be in this place but now God has brought you into this new place. And the more that you step out to serve the people that God loves, the more that it reinforces your own story. What was the scenario or the situation in your life that God has saved you from? Or maybe that God is continually working through in you each, like right now. And I love that it, and in, in another letter of Paul's, he says, work out your salvation. I think this is kind of what he's talking about that you understand on some fundamental level, yes, I've been saved, and it's very ambiguous and, and kind of you know, esoteric language, what does that mean? And he says, no, work it out, figure it out. Step out and begin to love the people around you. And as you do, you're gonna encounter other people's stories that touch so closely to your own. And you're gonna go, oh my gosh, yes, I actually know what that's like. But I wanna tell you my story of how God has rescued me from that place. God has brought me healing in that wound. God has delivered me from that place of bondage. And there's a really unique form of authority in the kingdom that comes not because you've been given a place of privilege, but because you've actually walked that story out. Because it's an authority that's motivated by compassion. And the more that you step out in faith to serve the world, the more it reinforces how specifically and tenderly God has pursued your own heart. And one of my favorite people in our community, Johnny, uh, is is a beautiful example of this. And we just wanna, uh, this is Johnny's testimony about intimacy with God through serving.
2: When I got into recovery, I was a little hesitant when I saw the word God on the list of things that they wanted to talk about. I really didn't think I knew who God was and I didn't want to pray or even talk to God until I had that answer. It was a friend of mine who actually came to me and said, you don't have to figure out God before you start using him. It was at a church service. They were talking about different ways and things that we could do to serve God God, I was like, what can I do? And he's like, you can bring a recovery meeting into the church. And I thought, okay. It was a little bit discouraging at first. I remember opening the door and walking in and sitting down and being the only person in the room and wondering what am I doing here? I I even called a friend one night because there was nobody there. He said, you're keeping the door open and that's what God wants you to do right now. It was a lesson in just being faithful. And sometimes I just have to show up and do it. I don't have to do it perfectly. I don't have to do it right. But there's a reward over time for faithfulness. Very rarely do I think about those times that I sat there with nobody there because there's always somebody there every week, which is really cool. There've been times where I've been in a meeting and someone's walked in and they said it was their first meeting. And I freaked out and I went, like, I don't know if I know enough to help this person. And I had to stop and go, wait, it's not my meeting, it's God's meeting. And as long as I can remember that, things turn out really well. I heard someone say one time that service is gratitude in action. And and I think about that a lot when I come and do service because I'm thinking like, this is part of me being grateful. God's done so many miracles in my life and I could try to hang on to them so tightly and they'd be pretty small but when I engage other people and I get to try to facilitate a miracle in their lives, then the miracle in my life just gets so much bigger. It just grows. And he's
1: right there. (laughs) (laughs) You knew I was gonna call you out for that son. So, for, for a while now, Johnny's been uh, hosting a Narcotics Anonymous group here on Tuesday evenings. Um, and we have another friend of the community who hosts an adult children of alcoholics group here uh, on Fridays at 2. And we're considering adding on one more of those kinds of meetings each week. Uh, and, and by the way, like, that's because you guys are part of this thing. You know, We have this space. We wanted to bless the community. And this is what it looks like for us to do that. And it's amazing just getting to interact with Johnny and as he's kind of on this journey, it's like he's discovering more and more what God has rescued him from, but also what God has rescued him to because he's able to kind of share that story with people that are walking that same journey of recovery and rehabilitation. And that's what it's all about when it comes to intimacy, that the more we serve the world around us, the more that reinforces our intimacy with God. So the second thing, identity serving the world helps us to inhabit our identities in christ i don't know if there's anybody in this room if i told you you know i've used various language you are made in the image of god you're a son or a daughter of the living god i don't think that's news to anybody or a surprise does that a surprise to anybody come see me after this is familiar language that we use not in, our, in just in our community but in churches all over the place The the challenge is not for you to understand intellectually what your identity is. That's not the challenge. That's actually very easy to do, to just name it and claim it. Here's this phrase, and I'm going to stick it over my forehead. The real challenge is how do you inhabit that as your reality? How do you take your identity and make it a lived-in reality every day. That we can kind of... I like to sum up your identity in Christ, that you are the beloved of God. You are the beloved of Jesus. And when, when we really examine the story of Jesus, we're seeing how Jesus is working this out as well. We find in the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 3, uh, Jesus is coming to be baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying... I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me because on some level John's thinking no you like you're good this is for the baptism for the forgiveness of sins like you're already there I don't understand what this is and so Jesus replied let it be so now it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness then John consented as soon as Jesus was baptized he went up out of the water At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And I love this. Next week when we start a new series, we're going to be talking about the Trinity. Even here, we see the evidence of the Trinity at work, that you know, God the Son is present in Jesus. God the Father speaks from the clouds and God the Spirit hovers over him as a dove, kind of echoing that first chapter of Genesis. But the amazing thing to think here, Jesus hasn't done anything yet. Do you realize that? Jesus hasn't begun his ministry. You know, Jesus hasn't answered the call. You know, Jesus hasn't signed up at some rally to go out and do the thing. Like, he hasn't done anything but here he is in this moment of his baptism and his father looks down on him and says, I'm pleased, I approve. And can you imagine everything that Jesus says and does for the rest of the story comes out of that place where he's already been affirmed by the father. That God God the father doesn't speak into Jesus' baptism and say, okay, Jesus, I've got the next three years planned out. If you really pull this off, I'm gonna be so proud of you at the end of it. No, he says, this is my son whom I love, in him I'm well pleased." So before he served the world, Jesus was affirmed in his true identity as God's beloved. Your identity is not dependent upon your action. Your your identity, who you are, is not dependent upon how you behave, on how you act, whether or not you get it right. Your identity is dependent upon what God has chosen to do through Jesus Christ. It is a gift that you have received. And so Jesus' identity being rooted in him in that moment, then everything that Jesus does and says, the way he serves the world was an outflow of his identity. It was on the other side of recognizing that he is the beloved of God. And everything that Jesus does and says is an exploration of his identity. What does it mean for me to be God's beloved son in this discussion with the Pharisees? What does it mean when I encounter this, this woman at the well? What does it mean when this child has died? What does it mean when my friend has been put in the grave? What does it mean when my friends betray me? What does it mean when I stand before Pilate? All of this is Jesus exploring what his unshakable, immovable identity really means in his life. And if we follow Paul's logic in Ephesians 2, we're Time and again, he uses this language that we have been made alive with Christ. We have been raised up with Christ. We're in the heavenly realms in Christ, the kindness to us in Christ. It is the gift of God. We recognize that if it's true of Christ, then it becomes true of us. And that is very hard to accept, isn't it? That whatever God says of Jesus is true of you because you are in Jesus right now. So the question then becomes, what does it mean for you to be the beloved of God? What is that identity? How how does that touch every moment of your lives beyond being just a badge that you wear on a Sunday morning when we sing these songs and we listen to these scriptures? What does it mean for you to be made in the image of God? What does it mean for you to be a son of God or a daughter of God? What does it mean Wednesday morning when you don't feel like getting up for work? What does it mean on a Thursday afternoon when a family member sends you a really harmful text? What does it mean when you're reading the news and it's so overwhelming that you feel like you need to shut the world out? Those are the moments in your life when your identity in Christ matters the most because they're opportunities to explore that reality, that your identity in Christ isn't an escape from the realities of the world, But the realities of the world are an invitation for you to explore in prayer. To say, God, what does it mean for me to be your beloved right now? Because maybe I'm not feeling it. Or maybe I don't know how to connect the dots with what you're calling me to be and what you're calling me to do in this moment. Your identity is something you have received. It is not something that you have earned. Because anything that you work for, anything that you earn in your life is transitory. If you've earned it, it can be taken away you could change seasons you could enter into some other reality whatever it might be if you put your identity in transitory things you will never be satisfied in who you are because you believe the lie that it's something that you have to work for you have to earn and then you have to maintain but if you recognize that it's because you've received this as a gift from God your identity in Christ and that the rest of your life is exploring the reality of what that means you will find something solid and unmoving and unshakable But learning how to to inhabit your identity, it takes time. I think that's why it's so valuable to be able, in prayer, to ask yourself this question in each moment. What does it mean for me to be your beloved in this moment, in this relationship, in this time, with these resources? What does it mean for me to be your beloved? What does it mean for me to be your child right now? One of the members of our team I went to Peru a few weeks ago is Ariel, and she's over there at the back, like, so worried that I was going to call on her. Uh, but this trip, if I remember, this, is, this was your first trip, right? Yeah, with City Beautiful. This was Ariel's first trip with City Beautiful, and I just loved getting to know her story because in her, I see her, like, she understands that she's the daughter of the living God, but she's working it out in real time and seeing on the mission field of how she is trying to figure that out, not just in mission, but also with her life overall. And so here's Ariel's uh, testimony.
3: So one of my dreams is to have a bakery. I've always been the type of person who feels like I get confided in often and feel like I'm able to help people heal. So it's always been in my heart to help women who've been trafficked or abuse, to have them heal through baking. The fact that this trip was focusing on abuse just felt like a confirmation in my heart that that's something that I needed to step into even if it was a little bit uncomfortable for me. The mission of the trip was to raise awareness about abuse, to teach and to pray. The biggest fear was just not being like the welcoming person that I usually am for others or be able to care for them well. Having to translate for them connected me to them because I was able to speak with them in their native tongue and be able to really get that emotion that they're experiencing. My parents are both Hispanic and growing up in Florida my whole life, we were taught not to really speak Spanish in the households for the fear of being judged or made fun of for having accents or not being like everyone else. I've always been very self-conscious about my accent or being seen as more white than Latina. When I was in Peru, one of the first things that was told to me by one of the women of the church was how great my accent was. It confirmed the Hispanic part of me that I often doubt. So I think I was surprised by how much I was able to relate to them. Being able to share a meal with my team and the team from Lavinia every single day and be vulnerable at the table and talk about our parents and our families being extremely important to us and our faith. It was just a little bit of a shock to me, in a good way, to see how alike we were. Our hearts are the same, That even if we come from different countries, we still have that similar love for Jesus. My identity being in Christ is something that is newer to me, but I feel like I'm fully accepting. I've been able to see when I'm really joyful, I feel like that's Christ. When I'm able to be a friend to others or be there for people, I can just see how Jesus is emulating in those moments. I think it comes back to the simple obedience of even when it's unknown and it's dark and it's scary, that he's not going to put something in my life that's not for me.
1: So serving helps us to cultivate intimacy with God, serving helps us to inhabit our identities in Christ, and finally, serving the world helps us to discover our purpose as part of the spirit-led church. And again, if we're following the story of Jesus, that he's kind of this template for us in intimacy and identity and purpose, then one of the, I think a fascinating question is, what does it mean for Jesus to be a servant leader? We've looked at that before from Isaiah 53, or if you're a backwoods American, that's Isaiah 53. (laughs) The, The prophecy of the suffering servant. And you just kind of wonder, as you're following the story of Jesus, you know, we don't always get a lot of emotional context for the scriptures, but is Jesus trying to even explore what it means to be a servant leader? Is he trying to figure that out? What does it mean for him to be the servant of all? And I think that's, again, what we find so beautiful in that last line from Paul's uh, letter in Ephesians 2, verse 10. He says, for we are God's handiwork, okay? So there's the intimacy bit. We're God's handiwork. We've been created by him and for him. And second, created in Christ Jesus, there's your identity, to do good works. There's the purpose. And they're all so connected with one another, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the two things that I see in Jesus' story, where he's perhaps exploring what it means for him to be the servant leader, to fulfill his purpose on earth, is in making plans and in being available. That Jesus had concerted plans, he had, he had a trajectory, he had rhythms, he had expectations, he knew what he was doing, and we see that time and again, but he also made himself available. How many times do we see moments in Jesus' life where he's walking up after somebody, or he's heading into, you know, the mouth of the beast when it comes to Jerusalem, or whatever it might be, but we also see all these times in Jesus' story where he's being inconvenienced, Right? Where somebody is, I, I love my, one of my favorites in Matthew 9, there's these two stories. One is a, um, a man with leprosy who's never, who hasn't been touched in you know, maybe decades. And another is a woman who's been bleeding profusely for 12 years who's never been touched. And the first man, he like gets in Jesus' way and he literally puts himself down in front of Jesus and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the lady, she kind of sneaks up behind Jesus. She's pushing through the crowd, risking everybody else's ritual and cleanliness. And she grabs and she actually takes from him. She takes healing by grabbing his cloak. And Jesus, time and again, is inconvenienced by the people around him because he chooses to make himself available. And I think both of those are what it actually means to be spirit-led, that we have plans and procedures and direction. But we are also available and we're willing to change direction as the spirit prompts and when we're mature christians being spirit-led we understand that we're to hold both of those in a valuable tension this is something i've had to learn uh, doing mission in peru because the the values of peruvian culture are so different than ours i don't seem like it but i'm a very controlling person like i won't do anything about it but i will sit there and just like why is the thing not on time or whatever it might be And I've had to learn, by leading mission teams time and again in South America, um, that they just operate on a different form of time. And you can make plans, and all of those plans are going to go out the window. And it doesn't mean that you don't make plans. It means that you hold them loosely. And that's one of the things that I tell our teams time and again, and I think I've seen them demonstrate so often, is you go down with an open-handedness. Like, here's the things that maybe we're going to do. But you will miss out on so much, if we've done this hour and a half project and then it's over and then you just check out. Because those are the moments when you're present by the Spirit, you enter into conversation with people, you notice somebody sitting by themselves, whatever it might be. Those are the moments where you're really gonna have amazing revelation of God's heart for people. And so if you can kind of find that balance in servant leadership of yes, making plans and having uh, you know, actionable steps, but also being available like Jesus was that you will discover what your purpose is as part of the Spirit-led church. And I love this language we talk about so often of waiting for the Lord. Waiting for the Lord, you know. Um, I was dating this girl a long time ago. Long time ago. (laughs) I was, this is when I was teaching high school, back in the day, okay? And uh, she'd always, we'd talk about purpose and and desire, and she'd say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord, I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm like, "Okay, okay, I'm not sure what that means. And I was talking to my folks about it one day, and my mom said, well, what is she doing in the meantime? I said, what do you mean she's waiting on the Lord she's like no is she like helping with the kids is she serving at a soup kitchen or whatever like while you're waiting on the Lord for the big calling what are you doing in the meantime and it was then that I realized oh waiting on the Lord is not like sitting and waiting for a bus where you're twiddling your thumbs like someday the Lord's bus is gonna come and I'm gonna be there no waiting on the Lord is like you work at a restaurant and God comes in and he sits at your table and you go and you get him the menu and you tell him the specials of the day. And then, you know, the, the Almighty kind of drops his fork and you have to go get him a clean one. And then eventually he's going to order the entree. That's what it means for us to wait on the Lord. It's an active form of waiting. That as we go out and we do and we explore, we enter into some reality and it hits us and we go, this, this is the thing that I was built for. This is the thing. This is what I was designed for. And it's almost always going to resonate somehow with your story, with your personality, and with the gifts that God's given you. But if you think waiting on the Lord is just sitting at home waiting for him to give you instructions, you're going to miss it. But to go out, to experiment, to explore, to put yourself in uncomfortable situations, something will come along that resonates with the deepest part of who you are. You say, this is why I'm on this planet. And one of my favorite people in our community, I mean, everybody, you're all my favorites, obviously, um, is, is our friend Jason Holman, and he has an amazing, amazing testimony of how he's come to discover his purpose.
0: There was a lady that came in one time, and I was like, hey, how's your day going? She goes, uh, it's all right. And then she starts bawling, and she goes, I'm in an abusive relationship. All my stuff is at his house, and I don't want to be homeless again, so I don't want to move my stuff out and it just breaks my heart. And then I feel like God puts on my heart in this moment. Do you know how precious you are in God's sight? Do you know how much worth and value you have to Him? Healthcare Center for the Homeless is a federally qualified community health center. I was working at VisionWorks and I was pretty dissatisfied with my job. And I remember going home and praying and asking God, just pouring out my heart, saying how frustrated I was, how I felt like I wanted to do more. And David Lawrence, his mom called me the next day and said, Jason, I I saw this job and I thought of you. She said, it's a job at Healthcare Center for the Homeless, working in vision services. And I was like, wow, that's like me. I've experienced a lot of hopelessness in my life. And I think about where God brought me from. And I look back on that, how I didn't have any hope before, and how God rescued me how he changed my life. You know, I see people in that situation too when I'm, it pulls at my heart and I can't not do something. You know, I see people suffering, I see people hurting and I want people to know the hope of Jesus and the the love of Jesus and the comfort of Jesus. And so maybe me being with people, demonstrating the love of God, telling them the love of God, the truth of God, how he feels about them and testimonies of him working in people, that they would find hope I feel like the work that I do there is within my calling for what God has called me to do sometimes God gives you an opportunity to step into something to grow in your faith in some area but if you don't step out if you don't ask and try you're not going to see God move you're not going to know what he's going to do for you what he wants for you what he has for you what he wants to say to you you know
1: So good. In 1979, uh, Bob Dylan became a Christian, and a lot of people said it was the worst career move he could have made, which is hilarious. Uh, And he made three gospel albums. And the very first song on the very first album in 1980 is called "Gotta Serve Somebody." And he goes through all of these different scenarios of different people. He says, "You may be at the top of the game. You may be at the bottom. You may be an addict. You may be an empowered executive. But you gotta serve somebody." Maybe the devil, maybe the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And I think that's what we need to reflect on. You're always serving somebody whether you realize it or not. But I think service becomes so much of the way in which we discover these very deep truths of the faith. And so my challenge to you this morning is, are you feeling distant from God? Then step out of faith and serve somebody. Are you unsure of who? you are? Or does your identity in Christ sound like empty words that are just these little, you know, kind of placating your insecurities? Step out in faith and serve somebody. Are you feeling directionless in your life? You don't know what your purpose is. You don't know what your calling is. Well, just step out and serve somebody. At our church here, we have a ministry called Local Global. And Local Global's mission is to help people step out in faith, to be part of what God is doing in the world, creating a lifestyle of investment. And this has always been what we've been so passionate about. It's not about kind of popcorning all over the world, all throughout our city, just doing things to make ourselves feel better, but really finding what's that thing, what's that relationship, what's that person or that group that just resonates so deeply with who we are that we want to see it through to the finish line. We want to invest time and again. Our relationship with Peru is one of those. We're going to be looking for more local ministries here soon that can be part of that. But maybe you're sitting here and you're you're somebody that not only are you passionate about serving the world, but you're passionate about helping others to discover what they are created to do. You want to help other people step out in faith. Well, I want to invite you to join this team to be part of that as we're continuing that journey of, of being a group of people that not only have we been saved from something, but we know that we've also been saved to something. And the more that we serve the world, the more we discover our intimacy with God, we discover how specifically and tenderly He's rescued each one of us, and it gives us the fuel and the passion to go out and to do the same for somebody else. And so if you want to join that team, I want you to email... Kristen at local global at citybeautiful.ch and there's gonna be a meeting towards the end of October of kind of gathering that group of people together and kind of prayerfully casting vision for what does the next chapter in our church look like for where we're going to partner and how we're gonna step out to pursue kingdom justice and kingdom mercy that the world so desperately needs. But you gotta serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, it may be yourself, but you've gotta serve somebody. Do you believe that it might actually be the key to freedom? So I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to pray, and we're going to worship through music and just see what the Lord wants to do. So you just close your eyes, bow your heads, however you feel comfortable. Father, we thank you that you have given us this truth, that we have intimacy with you, that it's through that intimacy that we learn to inhabit Our identities as your children as your image bearers as your beloved but not only that Lord through your intimacy we also discover our purpose that you have saved us to do good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do because you know each and every heart in this room you know our stories you have authored our stories you have rescued each of us from the pit of hell you've rescued us from the flesh You have rescued us from the brokenness of the world, and you have done that so tenderly and so specifically that you have granted us authority to live out those stories of hope and redemption. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would place in each of our hearts an overwhelming desire to serve the world, not because we're trying to earn something from you, but because it's an overflow of what we've received as a gift, that everything we are and everything we have is gifted, gratitude It's through gratitude that we serve the world. And so Holy Spirit, come, a light upon each of your dear ones. Speak to us now because we're listening. I pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.